Lord, thank you for bringing us here together by your grace under the umbrella of the gospel. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for applying that redemption to us. I pray that that this evening will be edifying, will be challenging, it will be uplifting. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you use me, speak through me this evening. Father, may I do all this for the glory of your son's name, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, James chapter 3, and we are almost done with James. So it's been a quite a journey, a fast journey, um, a challenging journey, an encouraging journey, and I pray that you have been <clears throat> getting quite a lot out of this, just as I have been getting quite a lot out of this, my life. I've read James, but it's different when you do in-depth studies, um, and uh, my life has truly changed for the better because of the great wisdom that is in James. So, The Dalai Lama, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, Yoda... What do all of these individuals have in common? What do you think? Uh, you can say that each, each of these persons are small in stature. Um, none of these people are over five foot eight. If you're under five foot eight, don't take offense to that, please, Pastor. But um, if you're under five foot eight, no, you're a little bit over five foot eight. Not a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you, you meet the, you meet the you meet the stand. Yep. So, all of these are under five foot eight. You can say that. Um, each are known for fighting for their people and peace uh, in the world. In Yoda's case, peace for the galaxy. Uh, but I think each of these men and this one creature have one thing in common, and that is they all are considered to have great wisdom. Great wisdom. Uh, for example, Gandhi once said, the best way to find, one, find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. The Dalai Lama said this, in which I think might be the greatest thing ever said. It's almost close to being scriptural. Sleep is the best meditation. If you don't take naps, if you're not an avid sleeper, then uh, you cannot say amen to that. But I say amen to that. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And Yoda once said, Always pass on what you have learned. Always pass on what you have learned. Wisdom. What is wisdom? And, and what does it mean to have wisdom? I think the first definition of wisdom one might give is wisdom is having great knowledge. Wisdom is having great knowledge. And yes, while the two words wisdom and knowledge are related, they're not synonymous. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. <clears throat> the ability to discern what is or, or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained 
through experience and reasoning. So knowledge is information gained through experience and reasoning. You can say that knowledge can exist without wisdom, but wisdom can't exist without knowledge. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. For example, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. So wisdom is the ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned. Wisdom is applying the knowledge of what you have learned. And that's our topic for this evening. Wisdom. So if you're taking notes, the, the, you can put it in the, in the front. Wisdom. Let's remember what James in this letter, what he's been saying this whole time. And who he's been writing to. Remember, he's been writing to Christians who have a background of Judaism, of legalism. And throughout the epistle, we have seen the various issues that James is addressing to these churches. You know, James is really to be um, read in front of the church. So James is addressing the problems in these churches. Issues like hypocrisy, like loose speech, like favoritism. And just as James has shown in chapter 1 that there are two kinds of trials. Remember those two kinds of trials? Um, those trials that are tests from God to test your faith. And then there's trials that are actually temptations. Just as he's shown that there are two kinds of religion in the second half of chapter 1, that there is religion that is shown to be uh, worthless, and there is religion that is shown to be valuable to God. Just as he has shown that there are two kinds of faith in chapter 2, a faith that is active and alive, remember that? and a faith that is inactive and dead. He likewise does the same thing here in our verses this evening. Just as there are two kinds of religion, faith, and trials, there are two kinds of wisdom. And you can tell them apart. Not by the way they talk, and by its great knowledge, but by the way they live. These churches' unity is being threatened because they are listening to two different kinds of wisdom. So if you're taking notes this evening, I have two points I would like like for you to consider. Number one is worldly wisdom. And number two, heavenly wisdom. Number one, worldly wisdom. And number two, heavenly wisdom. And I can't take any credit for these points because our very own Bobby gave them to me. Yeah, wow. So thank you, Bobby, for giving me these points. I hope I do them justice. And if you're in James 3, let's stand for the reading of the word. So James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, the word of the Lord says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. Verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. My God, add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So let's look at the first point, and that is earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom. Wisdom, or you can say worldly wisdom. 
we see in verse 13, James presents a question to those believers who are scattered abroad. Let's remember, he's writing to Christians who have issues in the, as having issues in the church. And he tells them, who is wise and understanding among you? He presents a question to them. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let us ask that to ourselves this evening as well. The question James asks gives us a hint of what's happening at these churches at the time. There must have been people who were claiming to have great wisdom and great insight into things. Maybe the teachers, maybe they were boasting in their knowledge. Maybe it was the members of the church who James is questioning. That might be the reason why James tells them in chapter 2 not to show any favoritism. Maybe these Christians are favoring other members because of the great wisdom they flaunt. Maybe wisdom is the root of why James is telling the church in the beginning of chapter 3 that not everyone should become teachers. Maybe these Christians think they have great wisdom and possess great knowledge. So James, knowing that, he proposes a question to them. And he asks them, who is wise and understanding among you? You know, this question is really a trap. Because I'm sure many of them, just like us, We'll be the first to raise our hands and to nod our heads. Well, I have great wisdom. I have great knowledge. Because we always view wisdom as having great knowledge of things. That is why James says next, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he asks the question, and then he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James is basically saying, if you have great wisdom and great understanding... Prove it. Prove it. Prove that you have wisdom, not by what you know, but how you live. Friend, this is nothing new. Uh, This is very similar to what James has been saying through this whole letter. In chapter 1, the true test of one hearing the word is one doing the word. The proof of one being a hearer of the word is doing the word, of obeying the word. In the same chapter, he says, if someone says he's religious, then he should prove it. Well, how does one prove it? By visiting orphans and widows and helping out the needy. In chapter 2, he says, if you really want to fulfill the world law of God, which is to love your neighbor as yourselves, then what? Prove it. By showing no partiality, no favoritism. And in the very same chapter, James urges these Christians not to just say they believe in God, But live and show like you believe in God. Remember, faith without works is dead. And so he says here in verse 13, If you want to be considered wise, then prove it. By his good conduct, let him show his works by the meekness of wisdom. When James says by his good conduct, let him show his works, he means one's behavior. How one lives their lives. James is challenging what they know, but by how they live. And know how James characterizes wisdom. He says, to be wise is to be meek. To be wise is to be meek. To be meek is to be the one thing that we all struggle with at times, and that is humble. Not to be boastful, non-boastful. And if someone's wisdom does not show itself in meekness, then ultimately that person's wisdom is false. That is why James move on to define what true wisdom is and what false wisdom is. So our first point of worldly wisdom is, I want you to know, um, it has two marks. 
Worldly wisdom is characterized by two marks. And the first mark is worldly wisdom is rooted in bitter jealousy. Worldly wisdom is rooted in bitter jealousy. James says, if you look in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and be false to the truth. And if you look, if you look down at verse 16, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So what does it mean to be jealous? Well, it means that we are desiring something that someone else has. And we are envious of that person because we know either we can't have it or we can't get it at the moment. I don't need to give you examples of what jealousy is because some of us might still be all too familiar with what it means to be jealous. In my life, particularly growing up as a kid, uh, my heart was inflamed with jealousy from not getting the material things that I wanted to not getting the praise that I think I deserved. Jealousy is very, very dangerous because jealousy has the power to turn lives completely upside down. <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't have what I want, so I'm going to do whatever I have to do in my power to obtain it. And then when one says that, then friendships are broken usually, families are destroyed, and lives are hurt, all because of jealousy. Jealousy leads, and in most cases, is rooted in insecurity. And if you're a Christian, and if you're insecure, if that leads you to jealousy, then that ultimately means you don't know God, and you don't trust God, and you are not satisfied with what God has graciously given you. When one is jealous, then one is not content with the providences of God in your life because ultimately you feel cheated. Why, is that, why does that person have that and not me? God, why are you blessing that person with this and not me? You feel mistreated by God. That is why wherever jealousy is found, gratitude is lost. But that's not us. Praise God. Hopefully, that's not us. Amen. Someone. Okay, good. Remember, you are in a Baptist church. You can say amen. That's fine. Yes. <clears throat> but that is not us. That's not the Christ-like character that we are to exemplify. We are not to be jealous people. We are to be gracious in all that we have because ultimately we know that we don't deserve anything. We are to be the most gracious people on this earth because we have something that was graciously given to us. Faith as a gift to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, jealousy is worldly wisdom. And James is calling these believers, as well as us, to not fall into the trap of being envious and being jealous of other people's possessions and knowledge. But let's take jealousy out of the context of possessions and knowledge. Friends, any jealousy period should be killed and should be checked out. You know, things like, well, why does pastor talk to this person and not me? Or why does Johnny give that person a hug and not me? Or why does Isaiah smile at this person and not me? Friends, I pray that us as a church will never be marked with having such petty jealousy like that. And if you do, please check yourself. Because in reality, you're the one being selfish. That's the first mark of worldly wisdom. 
bitter jealousy. Now let's look at the second mark of worldly wisdom, and that is worldly wisdom is rooted in selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom is rooted in selfish ambition. Again, James says in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And like jealousy, he repeats himself, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vow practice. Selfish ambition means to be self-seeking and always looking out for one's own interest above the interests of anyone else's. Selfish ambition, simply put, is doing things for your own glory and for your own honor. Someone who has selfish ambition is someone who is prideful, arrogant, and self-centered. Selfish ambition is what drew Adam and Eve to rebel against God's law. Selfish ambition is what caused David to commit adultery. Selfish ambition is what caused Judas to betray Jesus. Selfish ambition, friends, is not of God. It is not godly wisdom. Rather, it is worldly wisdom. And James tells us what worldly wisdom produces, what selfish ambition and bitter jealousy produces. Look at the end of verse 14. Do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then ultimately you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And look what he says in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder. And every vow practice. Friends, the fruit of jealousy and selfish ambition is disorder, division, and ungodliness. Where jealousy and selfish ambition is found, chaos and fleshly practices are also found. Case in point, Adam and Eve. When jealousy and selfish ambition is found, when the word of God is not central, what happens? Chaos is found. Exactly what happened in the garden. And friends, this type of wisdom James says in verse 15, James, this type of wisdom James says in verse 15 is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Worldly wisdom is ultimately demonic wisdom. Worldly wisdom denies the truth and lives a lie. Apparently, these churches that James was writing to have gained a reputation of being selfish and jealous with one another. And friends, please listen to me here. I thank God, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I thank God that we here at Reformation Bible Church, don't share the same issues with those churches James was writing to? Aren't you glad for that? I love how we all care for one another and how we see each other as Christian siblings. I pray that we never lose that family-type atmosphere. I also pray to God that we will never look at one another with envy and portray ourselves as arrogant, only looking out for ourselves Members, if you're here, and non-members, pray that jealousy and selfish ambition will never be a characteristic of ours, like it was for these churches whom James is writing to. My challenge for you as members is to be extreme in putting other members' needs before you. I challenge you with that. Because that, brothers and sisters, shows that you don't have jealousy in your hearts, but graciousness and love. You don't have a selfish ambition where it's all about you, but you're putting others' needs before yourselves. If you're asking advice from someone, if you're asking wisdom from someone else, let your motivation behind your question be for the glory of God, 
to be displayed, not by the building up of your own kingdom and of your own glory. Because worldly wisdom is selfish. It's selfish. And when you're asking wisdom, let your wisdom not be selfish for your own motives. But like I said, let it be for the glory of God. Now let's move on to our final point, and that is heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom. After James has given us one example of what worldly wisdom is, he now turns our attention to what heavenly wisdom is. And we see that in verse 17 and 18. Look, if you will. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. James lists eight marks of heavenly wisdom. He first says heavenly wisdom is pure. Heavenly wisdom is pure. As opposed to worldly wisdom, which is demonic, heavenly wisdom is pure. As opposed to worldly wisdom, which seeks to honor ourselves, heavenly wisdom is pure and seeks to honor God as well as others. Friends, when we give wisdom to our friends and when we give wisdom to our family, let it always be from a pure heart. Let everything we do come from, from, come from a pure heart. Let our motives be pure and not selfish. Not like the world. James is telling these Christians and he's telling us exactly what our Lord taught at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity is a mark of Christian character as well as a mark of heavenly wisdom. Being pure is much like our Father, who is all pure, all together. No imperfections, no evilness found in him. James moves on and says, heavenly wisdom is peaceable and gentle. Heavenly wisdom is to be peace-loving and to be gentle toward others. This might be very hard for some of us. I know it's very hard for some of us, especially us who deal with other people on a regular basis. Friends, ask yourselves, does your life reflect the life of someone who is peaceful and gentle toward others? That's something I have to ask myself every single day. Does your wisdom portray you as someone who leans more toward quarrels, conflict, and aggressiveness? Because that's what worldly wisdom does. And that's what worldly wisdom is. Or is your wisdom from above? Peace-loving, gentle, and pure. Again, James takes the words of our Lord and applies them here. Matthew 5, Jesus says in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's a beatitude. Friends, again, I ask you, are you peace-promoting? Are you peaceful at the worksite? Are you peaceful among your family, even those uncles and brothers and sisters who you can't stand? Are you peaceful around them? When people talk bad about you and when people mistreat you, do you respond with humility and gentleness? Or do you seek to get revenge? If that's you, understand that your actions and wisdom reflect Satan and the demons. It's not from God. It's not from above, but it's from below. James says, heavenly wisdom is peaceable and gentle. James also says heavenly wisdom is open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, and bears good fruit. 
It seems like James is repeating what he's been saying this whole chapter. He sums it up right here. He says, heavenly wisdom is full of mercy. The same mercy that he says we are to show in chapter 1 to widows and orphans, to those who are in need. Mercy is an important Christian characteristic because mercy is an attribute of our God, is it not? Our Lord is merciful to all of mankind. And mercy is what we receive from God day after day after day. It's the very thing that we beg for. The fact that God didn't choose to send us all to hell, but send his son to die for our sins is what? It's an act of mercy. We should never take that for granted. And the fact that he doesn't strike a sinner down as soon as they are born is an act of mercy. We are called as Christians to be merciful people. Why? Because of the great mercy that is shown to us every day by our Lord. Matthew 5, verse 7, Christ says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Friends, ask yourselves, am I a merciful person? Am I merciful to people? When I, am, when I have done wrong to people, or, or people, when, have they done wrong to me, do I expect mercy back from them, and also, do I give mercy to them? Or am I simply quick to not forgive? That's all of our problems. Heavenly wisdom shows itself in people who are merciful and gracious toward others. He says next, heavenly wisdom is impartial. Just like he says in chapter 3, how are we to show what? No partiality. No favoritism. Heavenly wisdom sees everyone as equal. Everyone. We don't see race. We don't see wealth. We don't see rank, appearance, or social status. No, we see God's creatures created in his image for his glory. James says next, heavenly wisdom is sincere. Just how we, if we are truly sincere in our hearing of the word... We will obey what it says. If we are truly sincere in our hearts, but what we hear Sunday after Sunday and what we read every day and what we hear also on Wednesday, then we will do what it says. Just as we are, if we are truly sincere with our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, then we will produce good deeds. It's inevitable. Just as if we are truly sincere in our love for our neighbor, we will be what? Open to reason. The first, the first heavenly mark of heavenly wisdom. Meaning we'll be reasonable. We'll be open to correction if need be. It doesn't mean that if a Muslim comes, an atheist comes, we'll be open to their reasoning. And, and we will say, okay, I see where you're coming from. I can see where you're at. No, ultimately they're all false. What James is saying is to be open to reason is to be open to correction. If need be, if we are not to be prideful, and I hope and I pray that we all don't see ourselves and others don't see us as know-it-alls. Members who are here, please take heed to this mark of heavenly wisdom. Don't lean on your own understandings. Do not lean on your own understandings at times, but seek counsel. Seek out counsel. From either us as elders or people in this church whom you see as mature Christian godly saints. That is what it means to be open to reason. Hey, brother, I need help. Can you give me some advice? Hey, sister, I need some counsel. I need some wisdom. Can you help me? 
There's no shame in that. No shame whatsoever. And when you do, when you do ask for wisdom, be sincere in it. When you're asking of wisdom, always be sincere. And also be sincere in giving wisdom. You know, you can get great advice to someone and, and you can quote a lot of scripture and just say all the right things. But if your attitude is not sincere, if your heart is not sincere, people will see that. And they know that. Just as if you have great knowledge of the Bible and theology, but horrible judgment calls and don't live out what you know, people will see that. Like my sister says, trust and believe. People will see that. It doesn't matter if you can quote the Apostle John, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, and John MacArthur, all in the same breath. If you don't live what you know in your lives, then you have no evidence of godly wisdom. You may seem, it may seem from the outside that you have great wisdom by your knowledge, but your life says something different. Your judgment calls say something different. The way you move says something different. Simply put, knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves God and obeys God. And others can see that. I think the main definition of heavenly wisdom is heavenly wisdom is ultimately edifying. It builds up not only the individual, but I would say even more those who are around. So it builds you up, but also it builds others around. Worldly wisdom is about self. Heavenly wisdom is about others. Heavenly wisdom shows itself in the concern to give oneself for the building up of the body of Christ. Friends, that's us. That's us. That is why we here at Reformation Bible Church put a premium on membership commitment and membership participation in the life of the church. Members who are here and future members who are listening, please understand that you have a responsibility here in this church. Just as I have a responsibility in this church, you have one as well. Not only is your responsibility to guard and protect the gospel, but also to be involved in others' lives. To show up to corporate prayer and to show up to corporate evangelism. Friends, let us as, eld- us as elders want you as members to be committed to being actively involved in the life of the church. Because it's too easy to come in, sit down, listen to a sermon, and then leave. Especially the church this small. For one, that shows that you are selfish. And all you care about is your spiritual needs. And it shows that you have a lack of understanding of what the church actually is. Friends, the wisdom that James wants you to have is definitely one of Scripture. Don't get me wrong. Knowledge of Scripture is important. But it must never, ever stop there. It must show itself in your life. It must have a self-giving concern for the building up of others. As Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what is the result of this kind of wisdom? What, what's the result of heavenly wisdom? The final verse of this chapter, verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, one of the joys I've seen uh, so far being a part of this church and being an elder is, is seeing 
the growth of righteousness in many of you. Seeing many of you come in, uh, really not being interested in growing in the word, but just looking for a church. And over time, you begin to take interest in God's word and you start to be serious in your walk and you slowly, your life starts to change. Friends, if that's you, then that sudden change of your life comes from a result of sowing in righteousness and God being gracious and watering. The fruit reaped of the planting of heavenly wisdom is a beautiful crop of righteousness. And one day, that harvest will be fully grown when we are with our Lord in heaven. In closing, I pray for you, brothers and sisters. That everything you do will be for the glory of God and will be for the building up of others. Especially the building up of the lives in this church, as well as the overall health of the church. I pray that we will never, Reformation Bible Church will never be marked by envy, jealousy, and selfishness like this church James was writing to. And friends, if we say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, Isaiah, but it's really hard for me to show that heavenly godly wisdom really hard for me. In fact, I don't think I possess that at all. Well, if that's you, I have great news for you. And James does too. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for for using me for your honor and for your glory. I pray that this was encouraging. I pray that this was challenging. Lord, let us do everything for your glory and do everything for others. Let us not see this world only for the enjoyment of ourselves, but the enjoyment of you. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, remove all jealousy from us and selfish ambition all boastfulness and pride and thinking that we know it all. Give us all humble hearts. And I pray that as a result of that, a beautiful crop of righteousness will bloom. Be with us, Lord. Holy Spirit, guide us in all things in the truth. In Christ's name I pray, amen.